All right, if you uh, have your worship folder there and uh, you flip over one page, we're going to look this morning at um, Mark chapter 12 and this brief story in verses 41 to 44. But before I read that, I just want to give you a little bit of orientation of what we're doing last week and this week. Um, uh, before Palm Sunday and Easter, we've been working through uh, the middle part of the book of Genesis, and we're going to resume that next week. But before we did that, I, I wanted to take two weeks and and talk about and give you a financial update about how we're doing as, as a church after the first quarter of this year. And there are a couple reasons I wanted to do that. The first is because um, the first quarter, uh, to be uh, transparent with you, was a rough one uh, financially for us. We um, we're about $30,000 behind where we anticipated being at this point in the year. And, and I'll tell you, I want to, I, I, I was, had a conversation with somebody earlier this week and you never really know how these kinds of things will come across. But, um, what, I think somebody heard me this past week feel like I was suggesting that, that we're not going to make it financially, which is not at all what I intended to say. <laughs> Um, I more just wanted to remind you, what, what, how did we get where we are? Here's how. Here's why. Back in January, the session, the elders presented a budget, and we have a budgeted deficit for this year. And there's two reasons why we've done that. Uh, the first is because we do have some healthy reserves. That's one. And two, uh, we've seen particularly as we've moved to the morning, our, we've seen the church grow. And so we've been wrestling with, okay, we, we, we need to figure out how to have a budget that is um, a budget for growth. Looking at our forecasting our expenses relative to our historical giving patterns and make our best judgment call on what we think we should do for this year. So that, that's why we budgeted a deficit for this year is we see lots of really great things for us to pursue and to do, and yet we're hoping that our giving will catch up with that. So that's where we are. But we also wanted to be honest with you about we're, we're behind. Now, there's maybe a lot of reasons for that, some of which is just historically speaking, giving at Red Mountain, which is not unique to us. This is true in every church. It's cyclical. Uh, it, it's never the case that churches get the same amount of money from the members of the congregation every month. It just never is like that. And that's fine. But I also understand that there may be other extenuating circumstances in our broader cultural moment, like different tax laws. And I know that everybody has to sort out um, those, those realities. And so I what I want you to hear me saying up front is your leaders are just trying to we're trying to be honest and just put that in front of you, but we also don't want you to hear us saying, get to it. That's, that's just not the point. Um, however, talking about money is awkward. Uh, perhaps some of you have been in churches where money gets talked about and you just feel manipulated, uh, belittled, uh, guilted, or shamed into doing something different. And... Talking about money is awkward. And why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the biggest reasons is, like it or not, money is one of the most 
uh, clear ways that we can know are we, are we secure in this world? Like it or not, money is one of the clearest indicators of our sense of security in life as we know it. And layer on top of that, like it or not, money is tied to your identity. Uh, how much money you do or don't have inevitably uh, makes an imprint on your soul and inserts itself as a significant factor in how you think about yourself. And so because of all of that, last week and this week, I really wanted to go back to the basics, to go back to the scriptures, to go back to the gospel and and look at two passages that I hope will reframe for us again the good news of the gospel and how it can transform us, particularly when it comes to the resources that God has given us. And so last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15. And it's a classic passage on this. And we looked at the example of the Macedonians, that is, the Christians in northern Greece. Think of the church in Philippi. And Paul uh, also talked to us about not just how God's been at work in them, but then he gave us a reason to give. And he took us straight to the gospel. He pointed us to remember Jesus and then teased out of that for us, well, what does it look like if the gospel takes root? What does the practice of giving look like? And this week, I want to take a look at this short story about uh, Jesus in the temple observing people and particularly this poor widow that we're going to read about here. And uh, so let me read this passage for us, and I'll tell you um, what we're going to do, and, and we'll, we'll jump into this passage. Listen here from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Uh, this is God's word for us this morning. And it says, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's, I got two points for you this morning, and then I want to, I want to try to tease out uh, how I, some ways that we might respond to these. So the two points are this, the drama of giving there in verses 41 to 42, and then the lessons of giving in verses 43 to 44. So first, let's look at the drama of giving. Let's just, I want you to try to Sit with me in in the story here for a minute. So here's where we are. We are in the last section of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 11, uh, Jesus had journeyed to Jerusalem, uh, the the famous passage where he makes his triumphal entry. Uh, This is in the last days of his, the last week of his life. Uh, Passover is uh, 
right around the corner, like a day or so away. And people, all kinds of Jews, are journeying to Jerusalem. So, and the temple is the focal point of Jerusalem, and particularly the Passover meal, commemorating God's great act of redemption through Moses and delivering his people out of Egypt and to get them and and rescue them and bring them into the promised land. All these people are, are descending on Jerusalem. And the picture right here is now Jesus is, has, has finished his teaching, more or less. Uh, things are about to turn really dark for him and, and not, not too many verses. And between his entry into Jerusalem and this passage, the religious leaders have been peppering Jesus with questions, challenging his authority. And he's been responding to them and answering them and to the point where right before this passage, a couple paragraphs before, um, Mark tells us that no one dared to ask him any more questions. And so Jesus now, he enters into the temple, into the, the treasury area, which is a large courtyard in the temple. Uh, it would have the greatest number of people in that part of the temple. So think about this. The Passover is coming. Just hordes of people are making their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus sits down opposite the treasury. Now here's what I want you to picture. Uh, there, there, were, there were no um, credit cards at this day and time. There's no online giving. There's no paper currency. All the currency is, is metal, coinage. And in the treasury, there were, on the wall, 13 brass-shaped trumpets that were the offering receptacles. And in this, this courtyard, people would come to the temple to give their offerings in these metal offering receptacles. And the only way you could do that was with your metal coinage. And so when people would come into this treasury, this courtyard area, and make their offerings, even if you didn't see, you could hear it. And so here's this picture. Jesus is sitting opposite all of this happening. And he observes. He observes that many rich people came in and put in large sums. Now, obviously, I think the rich people um, would have been somewhat identifiable, perhaps by their clothing or uh, any number of other observable factors. But what would definitely be even more a part of the situation is how loud was their offering. I don't know if you've ever been in a church. Um, I don't think we've ever done it here at Red Mountain where people will pass you know, the churches will pass the metal plate. And you can always, nowadays, it's usually the kids. You know, kids will come with some change, and you can hear them clank into the metal plate. Just imagine, like, this is the only way to give. And Jesus is observing this happen. But then, notice, he observes this one woman, this one person in particular, verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins 
And just to, to, to give you a little bit of detail here, these copper coins are the smallest coins in circulation. And she has two of them, and she drops them in. Almost an inaudible sound into this metal brass offering receptacle. And this is who Jesus notices. There are many rich people, and he observes this one poor widow. That's the drama that I want you to to have in front of you, in your mind's eye. Because what Jesus is going to do for us here and what he observes is he's going to teach us about the spirituality of money. That your money is almost as much as anything else is really about a relationship. It's tied to a relationship. And Jesus has several lessons that he wants to teach us from this story. So if we have the drama in front of us, let's look here in verses 43 to 44, what Jesus does and what he teaches us. See, in verse 43, he calls his disciples over and he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, I think the most striking phrase in this little story is when Jesus says, this poor widow has put in more than all those rich people. And just on the surface of it, my first response is, no, she didn't. She did not put in more than all those rich people. Couldn't you hear it? Quantitatively, they put in way more money than she did. And the first thing I I think what I want you to see here is there is a gospel math that Jesus wants to teach us. And he wants us to understand it because without it, we are missing something beautiful about the gospel. And so here are the lessons that we need to tease out that Jesus wants to teach us. And the first lesson, look in verse 44. Notice what Jesus says. They contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. Here's the first lesson. Jesus measures our giving by proportion, not by addition. What does that mean? If you remember from last week, what the Apostle Paul taught us and what Jesus is saying here is that The New Testament writers, when they talk about giving, particularly how much, they never give you a specific percentage or amount. It's left to the freedom of your own conscience. And in particular, what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is you are called as a believer to to think through what to give based on what you have, not what you don't have. In other words, what we learn here is that Jesus is not as concerned about the amount that you give. He is concerned far more about how you view your entire life and everything that he's given you.
So when the first lesson here is that Jesus measures our giving by a proportion, not by addition, what he's also saying to us is that he does not say that you, you should give. This story is not intended to say you should give everything away and then become dependent on other people. In fact, Paul says that very thing in 2 Corinthians 8. I'm not saying, Paul says, that you should give so that now you become a burden on others. No, what I am saying is look at what you have and wrestle with what can you give from what you do have. So that's the first lesson. Jesus measures our giving by proportion, not by addition. But the second lesson is that Jesus measures our giving not by the amount, but by the sacrifice. Notice in verse 44 again, they gave the rich people out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And here's, I think, where for for people like myself, and I think people in uh, the, especially in the the, uh, first world, one of the things I think we have to ask ourselves is, what are you saying no to in order to give? Where do you find yourself having to sacrifice in order to give to the goodness of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, and the life of the church? I think what Jesus is pressing us to honestly wrestle with is, if we are giving out of our abundance and never feeling a sense of sacrifice, are we really giving? When Jesus looks at our giving, what he is, he's looking at is not the amount, but our sacrifice. Another way to think about that is, Jesus is far more interested in your heart than your pocketbook. Now, what I want you to think too about this, with, with this widow, I, I'm very uh, pastorally, I'll say this, one of my great concerns in talking about a story like this is that you would get the impression that I am saying you should be like this widow. And I really don't want you to walk away thinking that. What I do want you to think about, though, is this widow is a beautiful illustration of the power of God at work in a person's life. And in fact, this widow... When Jesus describes what she has done, she is a picture of what Christian discipleship looks like. Of what does it look like for you to lose your life for Jesus' sake and the gospel and thereby find it. That's what Jesus is inviting inviting you into. He is inviting you into what does it mean to truly live? But you can never discover that without sacrifice. So that's the second lesson. Jesus measures our giving not by amount, but by sacrifice. And the third lesson is this. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury 
and watch the people. The third lesson is that our giving is always done in the sight of Jesus. Whether we give a lot or a little, what Jesus cares most about, as I said, is your heart. And and here's what I want you to, to see. What Jesus is doing with us here is that giving is an expression of love, not of wealth. Giving is an expression of love, not a lack of wealth. And here, what what I want us to wrestle with is how Jesus does math on our financial lives. And so here's the question for us. We've had the drama of giving and these three lessons of giving. What's your reaction? What's your reaction to this story? And I, I just want to give you two that I found myself having. Um, the first reaction is the poor widow's offering just seems so small and significant. Why is Jesus making such a big deal about this little episode? Among all these people, among all of the goings-on in the temple during this festive season of Passover, why make such a big deal that seems so small and insignificant? And I think there, there are two things that we need to understand about that, that reaction. God will use whatever gifts he wants to, to use to further his purposes. No matter how small or how big. And second, God doesn't need your money. We are not God's benefactor. God does not need our money as if his work depended on our generosity. In other words, we need to to, to think about everything that we have, every breath we draw, every article of clothing we have, every friendship we enjoy. These are all God's gifts. And as I was reading about this, one commentator I thought put this very well. He says, you are simply God's steward. Anything you give to him, he has first given to you. Like a father giving pocket money to his children to help them buy his birthday present. I thought that was a beautiful picture of gospel giving. Everything that you and I enjoy, God has already given to us to steward and to use, to enjoy and to give back for the good of others and the purposes of his kingdom. So that's the first reaction. This poor widow's offering just seems so small and significant. But I think for me and perhaps for you, the second reaction, this is a terrifying story. And because... I don't think I could ever think about my life and my resources like this. And speaking personally, this is a terrifying story to me. When I see this story, it seems over the top. Which is kind of why I had us read from a couple chapters earlier. And the rich young ruler from Mark chapter 10 where he shows up and he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus 
basically says, well, you know what the law says. And he says, yeah, I've been doing this for my whole life. And Jesus says to him, well, then great. Um, Sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And that, that rich young man, he walks away sad. The reason for it was because he was very wealthy. And as Jesus is talking to his disciples after this episode, they ask, they ask Jesus, well, then who can actually be saved? This is over the top. This isn't possible, what you're saying. And Jesus says, right. It's not possible for you. But it is possible for God. And so what I want you to think about in light of this story is not what this widow does, though I do want you to wrestle with it, and not even with that rich young ruler and how he walks away. What I want you to focus on, what does Jesus do to that young ruler, that wealthy man? If you, if you look back in your worship folder, I want you to see, I want you to look at it with me, because this is crucial. In verse 21, what does Jesus do? Before he says anything to him, Jesus looks at this guy, and the text tells us he loved him. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. Remember how I said the third lesson was that all of our giving is done before the gaze of Jesus? And the gaze that I want you to remember from this story is that Jesus looks on you and he loves you. What can change you is the gaze of Jesus. And it is not a gaze of condemnation. It is not a gaze of guilt. It is not a gaze of shame. It is not a gaze of give more. It is a gaze of, I love you. It's what Paul said last week in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians when he says, Jesus became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. What I want you to hear about giving to Red Mountain Church is this. I don't want you to give to this church without you thinking first and foremost about Jesus looks upon you through his death and resurrection with nothing but grace and mercy and love. Irrespective of the life you've lived or the life you hope to live, how much you give or don't give. The only reason to give is that Jesus has loved you first. And not only that, Jesus never calls you to do something that he has not already done for you. Jesus has suffered and died. He has given his very life for his people. And he says to you, do you see my love for you? I want my love to penetrate your heart 
And out of my love for you and your experience of my love for you, to move you to give to those things and those people that I love. Will you do it? That's what Jesus is wanting us to get from this very short story. Because what's very interesting, if we were to tease out literally with the very last verse there where it says um, she put in everything she had, all she had to live on, you could also translate that she gave her very life. And what Jesus is saying to us and his gaze of love to us is, I gave my very life for you. That's really good news. And I want you to experience the freedom of the gospel that reaches into every facet of your life, even your finances, that you would experience the love and gaze of Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this story. We give you thanks for putting in front of us Uh, words and passages uh, and teaching that actually, though deeply penetrating and challenging, is also opens to us a whole new possibility of living life in relationship with you. In light of the good news of the gospel, in light of your love for sinners like us, and we pray that this wouldn't just be uh, knowledge that we absorb, but it would be in the hands of your spirit Uh, what leads to change and freedom and joy and to light. Would you please do that? For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.